Real Life presents the Jack Hibbs Podcast with intention and boldness to proclaim truth, equip the saints, and impact our culture. Everybody, we're going to get into the rapture of the church. Is it even real? Where is it in the Bible? Is Christ coming back? Is he coming back again? Let's find out. It's very specific. Get your Bible. Let's go. You can get the outlines of this podcast by going to jackhibbs.com slash podcast. Today, if this podcast lifts you up and encourages you to live a more fulfilled life in Christ, then make sure you leave us one of those five-star ratings. To us, that's like saying amen or yes. Then that rating will encourage others to listen. Now open your hearts to what God's Word has to say to you. Here is Jack Hibbs. Hey, you guys, welcome to our uh, ongoing podcast. How about that? It's an ongoing podcast, and uh, we're going to be having a great time together. So once again, welcome to uh, the Jack Hibbs podcast, encouraging all of you that if you would like to share this with others or hit subscribe, we would love for you to do that, of course. And um, But listen, we wound up embarking upon a uh, unintended, unplanned trip, which is some of the greatest trips of all. When you head down the street to go get a carton of milk and you wind up driving down Coast Highway and the whole world changes. And that's very fun and beautiful. That's what's happened regarding our topic when we're looking at the end times events and where does the rapture of the church fit in? Uh, the reason why I'm excited about it is because we receive tons of mail. Can I call email mail, right? Just mail? I mean, nobody licked the stamp or anything. We got sent a bunch of mail. And this is very, very cool. And it covered the broad spectrum of everything that you can imagine. And I'm, I have no doubt that we've received um, uh, comments from pre- and post-millennialist, uh, all-millennialist for sure, uh, we had responses from people who said, there is no rapture, you're nuts. Some people said, explain it more, I'm, I'm interested. Some people got all uh, lathered up about it, which is hilarious. Some people said, you're teaching false doctrine by teaching a pre-tribulation rapture. Okay, you need to back off the, the uh, steroids or something, that's insane, because there are great men and women of God who have taught uh, pre and post uh, tribulation rapture view. And uh, so you need to dial it down because you've kind of made that like your little uh, cult thing. Okay. So you don't want to do that. The bottom line is if you're trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ to get you to heaven and, and plus nothing else, uh, if you've repented of your sins and made him the Lord and savior of your life, in other words, are you following Jesus today? Are you obeying him? Okay, pre, mid, or post uh, rapture view that you might have uh, is irrelevant compared to when the rapture takes place, you're going to go up, or when you slip on a banana, fall and break your neck, and die, you're going to go see him. So let's just remember that. We can debate and argue beautifully the placement of the rapture. Um, but reason why we brought this up is because I personally have no doubt when the rapture is, not the day or the hour. That's only a lunatic would say such a thing. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows the day or the hour. But um, I used to be, as I mentioned before in the previous uh, podcast, I used to be a post-tribulationist. And that's a hard sell. It was tough. I spent about three years doing that. And you got to really mess around with the identity of Israel. You got to mess around with, with the identity of the church. And you've got to redefine words like wrath. 
you've got to redefine certain words like indignation, and uh, it's it's a hard sell. So that shouldn't offend any of you. Uh, that's one of the things I'm grateful about this this particular podcast is that it's really ruffled some feathers, and I don't want to ruffle your feathers to be uh, ruffling feathers. I want to if ruffling your feathers leads you to greater Bible study, then this is awesome. Okay, so listen, we're going to jump in here, and um, and here's where we're going to start with this. Everybody get ready. Write it down, if you would. The comings, plural, of Jesus Christ. There's only two. I want you to write this down. The comings. Number one and number two are found in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, more specifically Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27. Okay, so watch. First coming, Jesus comes on, anybody know? Anybody know? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday was the first coming of Jesus Christ. Remember, we said this before, not the baby born in Bethlehem. That's not his first coming. His first coming is when he's presented to Israel as king. He comes riding on the back in the first coming on a little donkey, Zechariah 9.9, the fulfillment of that. He presents himself as king. It's the only time in Jesus' earthly ministry where he allows himself to be acknowledged and worshipped as king. Uh, the spectators who are there on Palm Sunday are laying down their garments and palm branches, shouting and praising, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this is critical, friends. Listen, take a deep breath, calm down, some of you. Tie this together. Jesus said... As they were rejoicing, he's weeping. Jesus says in Matthew 23, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd only known this thy day, the peace that awaits you, but you are not willing. For behold, your house is left to you desolate. He no doubt pointed to the temple to the left-hand side as he's coming down the Mount of Olives. Your house is left to you desolate. And you won't see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Class, who did he say that to? Where was he at? And what event is he referencing? In the middle of his first coming, down the Olivet or the Mount of Olives, he announces, you failed to recognize today was a day that Daniel spoke to you about. You missed it. Now, not everybody missed it, but the national leaders, the religious leaders, they missed it. When he says you're not going to see me again until you bless, until you say blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord, that is taken right out of the book of Psalms. And Jesus says the ultimate fulfillment of that is going to be when you see me coming again from this mountaintop on the back of a horse this time, I will not be coming back fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. I'm going to be coming back fulfilling the latter end of the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to be coming back, Mount of Olives, coming out of the east toward the west, which is fascinating. That's exactly how it's set up in Israel. And he says, when that happens, my foot, for example, is going to touch the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in two. And I'm going to enter in through the triumphal gate or the eastern gate. 
and he is going to be hailed by the believing Jews in that moment, at that time, when they cry out and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here he is. So the first coming is a physical coming of Jesus Christ on an animal, presented as king, to Jerusalem, which is in Israel. Everybody got that? To the Jewish people. <coughs> Can I have some water, please? Thank you. The second coming is very much the same way. Comes to the nation of Israel, comes to the city of Jerusalem, comes to the Jewish people, presents himself as king, establishes his kingdom. Why? He must sit on the throne of David for how long? Anybody know? In fact, it's so important that if Jesus does not sit on the throne of David, in Jerusalem is where it's at, then we've got the wrong Jesus. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. We've got the right Jesus, but this is very important. Establish this. First coming, physical to Israel, the Jew. Second coming, physical return to Israel and to the Jew. You got that? Both deal with his kingship. Both deal with his establishment of his kingdom. The grand pause is these last 2,000 years. Between those two events has been 2,000 years. And what that means is, what we know from the Bible, from the epistles, from the book of Acts, from the entire New Testament, in fact, Old Testament as well, is this is the church age period of time. This is where God has been gathering together to himself a people who, the scripture says in Isaiah, a people who were not his people, who God says, you will become my people and I will become your God, referencing the Gentile world. And hello, uh, say hi to you if you're, if you're one who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's make very, very important uh, separation. Two physical comings to Israel in bodily form. The nation has got to be in existence for both of them. There's got to be Jews in Israel for that to take place. And that's extremely, extremely necessary. There's no moving around that. If you start to uh, jostle the meaning of who or what is Israel and you begin to replace it with the church, you've got serious problems in your theology that lead you to a post-tribulation uh, conclusion. And that's unfortunate. A um, little bit about this. Jesus says that, and the apostles teach, that there is something called what we would say is our gathering together to him. Jesus introduces it first in John 14. We covered that in the first three verses. Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to pick you up and take you where I have been. Read John 14, 1, 2, and 3 again. Many of you who commented and criticized and said there's no rapture, you didn't even mention John 14. Of course you're not, because that, that disrupts your view. Listen, we want the Bible to shape our view. We don't want to uh, have our view shape the Bible. This is very, very important. So uh, he's, he's going to take us to that place that he's been preparing for us. I would simply ask you this. When does that happen? How does it happen? Where are we going? 
You have to answer that. How, when, and where are we going? The pre-tribulation rapture view is the only view that makes that fit with all other views or with all other, I should say, representations of Scripture. That's why, listen, even a pre-wrath or mid-trib, it doesn't fit right for this reason. The seven years, remember this, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday at the end of the 483rd year prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. When Israel rejected Jesus as Messiah, I'm putting it bluntly and I'm paraphrasing it, he went away. He said he's not going to come back to Israel until uh, the time is for him to return to Israel. What is that? The 490 years minus or removing 483 years leaves seven years. Some of you struggled with that. You say it can't be seven years. It doesn't matter what you say. It's seven years. Yeah, but I, my theology is this way. I don't care what your theology says. It's seven years. The Bible says it's seven years. There's the first half of 42 months, the second half of 42 months, or 1,260 days, and another 1,260 days. The Bible is so specific that in the middle of that, so think about this, on the 1,261st day, we know that that's the day that the Antichrist enters the temple in Jerusalem and declares himself to be God. And that's when, so to speak, all hell breaks loose on earth. That's the second half of the tribulation period, which is a horrific time that Jesus says it's, it's a time so violent and so demonically energized and so filled with a Antichrist age led by the Antichrist himself, but predominantly really Satan living out his wishes through the Antichrist and the false prophet that Jesus said if he didn't return at the end of that seven years, there'd be no flesh left on earth. That's how bad it's going to be. It's for that reason some people have said, so see, we are in the, the church is in the first three and a half years because it's okay. It's not okay. The first three and a half years is a time of great deception because the Holy Spirit would have stepped aside. Second Thessalonians 2, the Holy Spirit steps aside he doesn't go anywhere, by the way. He doesn't leave the earth. He steps aside. And then shall that wicked one be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and the brightness of his coming, the Antichrist. So the first three and a half years is a time of the earth being judged by demonic influence via the Antichrist, a man who will arise out of what we understand is the revised ancient Roman Empire, simply because Daniel's description throughout the book of Daniel is this guy, the little horn, is going to arise um, from the entity of the two legs of Daniel's image of this great statue, the eastern and western empires, uh, uh, flanks of the Roman Empire. So remember, please, the seven years in total is judgment on the earth. It's just a phased judgment. The upfront is deception by prosperity and peace. And the second half is by extreme violence and plagues being poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. All right? So let's talk about something that is very, very key. Mark it down, please. It's the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is found 
in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. All of it discourse. Why is it important? It's super important. Because nowhere in the Olivet Discourse is the church. Nowhere. Almost every eschatologist I have studied and looked at, even those who view it differently in a mid- or post-tribulational rapture view, they struggle. They have a hard time. It's, it's, books, it's books like this one where uh, Dr. John Wolverett addresses the rapture question. When is it? Is it pre? Is it mid? Is it post? He gives arguments for all the views. He, pre- he represents all the teams that are in question, their arguments. It's, uh, by the way, it's pretty exhaustive. It's a uh, fine print, but uh, it's a great work. And that's Dr. John Wolverett. By the way, you can get this at jackhibbs.com. I don't get any money for it. You, kn- you need to know that. jackhibbs.com, you can order it today. The Rapture Question and get it out to you right away because it represents all the views, and he gives reasons, pros, and cons. It's very great. It's very balanced. But the Olivet Discourse, you guys, uh, has to deal with, listen, Christ's second coming to Israel, to Jerusalem, regarding the Jew and the temple. There's no mention of the church. There's no mention of the church in that whatsoever. So listen, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned in a sermon that I was giving that what, the, what you and I are seeing right now in the world around us is what we would call, is what I said, was Braxton Hicks contractions. Contractions. Those of you who have been pregnant um, and your, 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 um, your uterus, your physiology, your body began to go through a workout program called Braxton Hicks. You're not giving birth. You're not even ready to give birth. But your body starts working out the vital muscles and tissues getting ready for delivery. It's not, it's not birth time. It's not technically birth pains. It's the body putting itself through. Isn't, it, isn't God amazing that he made your body to do this? Ladies, women, females, okay? XX, right? X chromosome. Your body starts going into a workout to get ready to give birth. Right now in this world today, we are seeing Braxton Hicks contractions, the formation of a global governance, digital currencies, borderless world being talked about, World Economic Forum and all the stuff that that they want to speak about. So you guys, one of the things I want to point out, it's very important to all of us, is that, and, and just answer this, and I'm lovingly being sarcastic, Did Jesus go away? The answer is yes. Why did he go away? That's a great question. Can you answer that question? Why did Jesus go away? That's a very important question for you to answer. Did he say he would come back? Why is he coming back? So, if this helps... I'm going to do it this way. And we've made mention of this before. See the umbrella I'm holding up? It's an umbrella. The first coming would be here. Okay? 
I'll say the rapture is in the middle. Okay? Second coming is at the end. John tells us that these are the last days. John, way back then, 2,000 years ago, the last days. But when we talk about the first and second coming, we're talking about it being under an umbrella of the coming of the Lord. And so what I want you guys to be thinking about, because we'll pick this up next time around. I want you to go study this. This is very, very important. In fact, let's read it. I want you to answer this question. Um, in the community of believers, how about this? Those, those who make it to heaven, what are they wearing? What do they wear? And you're going to immediately shout out, white robes. And you are correct to a point. Old Testament saints get white robes. There's no doubt about it. The tribulation saints who die for their faith during the trib, most of them are beheaded. They get white robes. But there is that group the Bible mentions, they don't get robes. There's a group that gets fine white linen, clean and bright. Completely different word. In fact, listen up. You guys want to look at it later? Look up Strong's number, Strong's. Strong's number G1039. Strong's number G1039, which relates to the church wearing fine white linen, clean and bright. Versus, or in contrast to, G3588 or G4749. That's G3588 or G4749 refers to robes. There's a difference. Why is there a difference? Because the bride of Christ doesn't wear robes. She wears a wedding gown. She wears fine linen, clean and bright. Those that die or are experiencing the great tribulation period, uh, and the seven years referred to in the Olivet Discourse, they're wearing robes. The church is nowhere to be found. That is a very, very important point to keep in mind. Listen up, everybody, and I know we're running short on time. I hate the fact that these things are supposed to be 20 minutes. Revelation 19, verse 1. After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Interesting, they're in heaven, and they're talking about God's being, God is awesome, and so are his judgments. They're righteous. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, the false religious system that the Antichrist uses to gain his foothold into a spiritualized world. It's going to be a false, I'll just say it's a false church. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. So whoever's talking is not them, right? They're saying, praise God. God is, he's, the Lord has stepped up right now and he's executing judgment on those who killed his servants. And again, they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders, who I'll say represent the church for a reason, 
not for this podcast. And the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him both small and great. Verse 6, And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings. That's pretty awesome saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. How come? Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Listen up. Saints of the Old Testament. Saints of the tribulation period and the church age believers are called saints, the bride of Christ. She's wearing fine linen. There are various categories of saints. Please remember that. Verse 9, then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I love this. Listen carefully, everybody. Though, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper or invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at, at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, uh, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If your, if your church doesn't teach Bible prophecy, get out of it. Go find one that does. So listen, there's a fellow servant talking to John about what John is seeing in heaven and what's happening. John is looking at the 24 elders. He's seen the saints that have been prepared by their righteousness, which is the fine linen, clean and bright. Check it out. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm going to submit to you something you've never, maybe never thought about before. Brides and grooms are never invited to their own weddings. In fact, there is no wedding without a bride and groom. There is no wedding without Jesus in the church. So who's invited? You're not. Listen, if you're a believer today, you're not invited. You are, the, you are the service. You are the celebration. I am the celebration. I'm not invited to it. It can't happen without me. Um, now, I saw in heaven, uh, now John says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is awesome. Listen to this. His eyes were like flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. You want to know why? Read Isaiah. Read the last six chapters of the book of Isaiah. Jesus, while we're in heaven, Jesus will intermittently execute judgment and defense of the nation of Israel while we're in heaven. Go read Isaiah 26, verses 19 to 21. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name on it was the Word of God, Watch, verse 14. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen. That's so crystal clear. White and clean followed him on white horses. That's us. Notice we're in heaven. How'd we get there? So cool. Are you guys getting this? 
Listen, right now, truth is slapping up against your denominational teachings. Don't come to the Bible with a preconceived, preloaded ideology or, or theology. Let God's word speak to you. This is so cool. And he himself, tra oh, sorry, I just skipped a spot. Not a good thing to do. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. This is the judgment of Christ in the second coming. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. So do we. That's, re that's also mentioned of us. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he carried with a loud, he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven. So all the birds in the atmosphere, in the air, come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all people. That's nations, free and slave, both small and great. This is the judgment at the second coming. And I saw the beasts, the, uh, the kings of the earth and the armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. That's us. When's that? Second coming. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image. And those were cast into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest of, were not killed. Uh, I'm sorry. The rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him, Jesus, who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Read the Old and New Testament accounts of what happens when Christ the Messiah returns. He gathers the nations together in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And those that are condemned are consumed by the flesh-eating birds. Revelation 20, you can keep reading, going on there, where we get into the, the deeper things of the judgment of Christ, the millennial age, and the final doom of Satan. That's Revelation 19. It's very, very critical. Your homework right now is to figure out who's in heaven with Jesus while the earth is being slammed by the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. And at the end of the bowl judgments comes the awesome and terrifying day of the Lord. And we're going to end on this because we've gone way too long. We'll, we'll pick this up next time. Somebody needs to mark that down. If you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, people get confused and they freak out. But number one, Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 because people were freaking out in Thessalonica because they thought they had missed the rapture and that they were in the tribulation period. Paul wrote them a second letter explaining and saying this, the day of, the, the day of Jesus Christ is going to happen first, the day of Christ, and, and the day of the Lord begins. This is what he's talking about, 2 Thessalonians 2. Watch. We don't know when the rapture takes place, but when it happens, when the day of Christ takes place, the day of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the rapture. In the next millisecond, the day of the Lord begins. It's the rapture, the day of Jesus for the church, fulfilling John 14. 
when that happens, it starts the clock ticking called the day of the Lord, and it goes all the way out for the seven years in total, and all the way out through the end of the millennium, the thousand years. But we're out of time. Man, I hope you guys join us next time. Gather people together. Let's just let's just go for this. Let's just let's let's keep going until uh, until we're done on this. But I apologize for the lack of time. You guys remember, let people know, get this podcast bumped up there. We need to let people know at the woke media world that people care about this time. So if you like it, please like it. And if you share it, please do share it as many people as possible. But we believe strongly that it's time, it's time to live out your life. It's time to live what you believe in. And uh, thus we say it's time for real life. Okay, God bless you guys. Until next time. This Jack Hibbs podcast, as well as all the broadcast outreach opportunities, are listener-supported. Will you consider partnering with us through a special gift? Go to jackhibbs.com to learn more and stay connected.